You're listening to Ari Snapshots, where each fortnight we chat about the science behind the weeds and decode some of the trickier concepts which crop up. This week on Ari Snapshots, we're catching up with Ari Agronomy Lead, Dr Mike Ashworth. Mike has been leading projects on mitigating herbicide resistance, using serigella as a break phase crop, and blue lupin control in narrowleaf lupins. In this chat, we'll get an update on these projects and find out some preliminary answers where we can. So Mike does join us now. How are you going, Mike? Uh, g'day, Jess. How are you? I'm really good. Lots of things going on with the agronomy team, and it's been a while since we've caught up on the podcast, so it'll be good to get a bit of an overview. Can you just give a bit of a sense of what your team is up to at the moment? Yeah, well, so it's been fairly, it's been a busy couple of years. Ari's sort of been only just getting into the agronomy space because uh, we always felt that agronomy was really, really important simply because that's where we're able to actually reduce our seed banks because you're obviously not going to be able to fight a herbicide resistance problem with just herbicides. Mm. But we've been focusing very, very heavily on crop competition and how to improve the competitiveness of crops and, and how our management can actually affect the interaction between the crop and the weed because what we really want to do is give the crop a, a real advantage over those weeds. So we've yeah. been working a lot on canola we've been working on uh, nitrogen placement uh, because you know we've always been under the uh, assumption that we've got to feed the crop not the weeds but uh, you know we found some really counterintuitive uh, results there and we've also been looking at the interaction between time of sowing and pre-emergent herbicides. Yeah, all right. Well, we're going to dig into a bit of the details in the projects that you're leading at the moment. And obviously, not all the papers are out on this and some of these are ongoing. So you're just going to give answers where you can in some of those preliminary results that you've been able to bring forward and share today. So one of the areas that you're currently evaluating does involve the use of pre-M and post-M herbicide application timings to control non-target site weeds, which is metabolism-based herbicide resistance in annual ryegrass and wild radish populations. Can you give us a bit of a report on what you found from this area of research so far? Yeah, so uh, what we're looking at is we're really looking at the the interaction between the pre-emergent herbicide choice and the time of sowing. So a couple of years ago, Chris Preston and Gurjeet Gill, they've been looking around an awful lot of trials and they came up with a, a bit of a hypothesis or a belief that it was actually better off, we were actually far better off to uh, sow our crops early with a really good pre-emergent herbicide package versus delaying sowing and then just uh, planting those crops like normal. So we've actually been doing an awful lot of trials. We've been doing nine trials around the state, everywhere from Geraldton right through to Esperance, different soil types, different weed densities, to actually look at how competitive and how does that competitive interaction work between all the pre-emergent herbicide packages that we have against wheat that's sown either very, very dry We're talking about three to four weeks before the break of season or a uh, crop that's sown wet and getting a perfect germination. And what we've been doing is we've obviously got a nil treatment, so no herbicide applied at all. That's our control. We've got our standard boxer gold treatment, which is two and a half litres of boxer. We've got two litres of trifluralin. We've been working with Sakura, 118 grams of that. And in the first year, what we actually found that with some of our herbicides that we classify as slightly weaker, things like our box of gold, even our trifluralin, because trifluralin is not particularly residual, but it does take out an awful lot of numbers early. What we actually found with those herbicides is you're sort of still better off to delay sowing. Now, why would I say it's better to delay sowing? Well, when we apply a knockdown, we take an awful lot of numbers out. We, take, we, we have a germinable seed bank, an awful lot of ryegrass coming up out of the ground. And 
basically using a knockdown across that, we actually take a lot of those guys out. So we have less plants coming up throughout the season and far less weed pressure on that crop. But products like Sakura, we actually found that to be an awful lot more residual. And when using a sort of a, a really robust product like that, we actually found no significant difference between the delayed sowing and the early sowing. So what we we're able to do there is take advantage of early sowing opportunities where we could, uh, you know, get more vigour out of the crop because the soil's warmer. We could get more biomass, earlier canopy uh, cover and increase yields when we sow early versus sowing late. And we also still managed to really reduce ryegrass seed production. So it's not a, a simple answer. When we're deciding whether we seed early or seed late, it's horses for courses. It depends on the product you're using. Interestingly, last year, we also put in test plots with the brand new herbicides that were coming out. So Synmethalin being Luxamax, Bixalone, Overwatch and Matino, which is your peroxisulfone, aclofen mix. And we, uh, we actually tested how residual those products were. And interestingly, we found that Overwatch and Matino are particularly residual. They are wonderful products for this potential dry sowing opportunity. So this year, we've actually got all those brand new herbicides completely factorialized within these experiments. So we'll be able to give everyone an understanding of how effective these herbicides are early, whether we are so early or so late. So it's going to be a, an interesting outcome. So at the end of the year, we'll analyse all that data and see what we come up with. Yeah, that's going to be really valuable for farmers and researchers and the companies alike. So yeah, that's, that'll be really exciting to report on later on in the year when you've got the data available. Mike, another area of research that your team is focusing on is field testing of the proof of concept innovation of using soil applied herbicides for the control of blue lupins in narrow leaf lupins. Obviously, blue lupins are a big problem. So can you tell us a little bit about the details of this study? Yeah, so this is a, an issue that's come from the northern grain growers and uh, it's always been an issue and talk about trying to split hairs, trying to, you know, obviously get blue lupin, which is a, a lupinous contini out of a lupinous augustifolius crop. So it's it's absolutely splitting hairs. Yeah. But um, as you might realise, there's, there's no way you can apply a product that's going to kill a blue lupin and uh, keep a uh, regular lupin alive. So that's always been the real difficulty. Now, the industry has been looking at an awful lot of opportunities, such as, you know, shielded spraying between the rows and also delayed sowing. Now, they're quite good, but they also come with a, with a yield penalty as well. One concept that we came up with was uh, sort of going back to the no-till days. So uh, my background is obviously agricultural engineering and no-till. And uh, what we actually found in the no-till system was that when we use trifluralin and wheat, without any saw throw, without throwing the herbicide out of the row, what we actually found is that the wheat was very, very heavily damaged by even very small rates of trifluralin. So around 600 mils of trifluralin would normally kill wheat. But when we threw the herbicide out of the row using our seeding system, we could easily use three, four, five litres of herbicide of trifluralin without affecting the crop. And the reason for that was that the trifluralin wasn't particularly mobile. We threw it out of the row and the crop came up in herbicide-free herbicide band of soil. Now, we're trying that similar adage when it comes to blue lupin in a lupin crop. So what we're doing is we're actually applying herbicides 
that are normally toxic to a lupin crop and we're plying it in a lupin crop. So let's just see how that goes. So we're using products like we're using Overwatch. We know that that absolutely smokes lupins if it comes in contact. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to throw the Overwatch out of the row and see whether we can kill the blues in the inter-row while the uh, uh, white lupin is, is growing well. We're looking at products like Veraxor, Callisto, Metribuzin, because we are using a Metribuzin tolerant variety. And interestingly, we were also, um, a, a few agronomists actually indicated that we should actually look at Lontral, Clopyrrolid, because there's been some situations where growers have accidentally sprayed canola crops, then actually gone in and re-sowed those sites with canola again, and the canola's been fine because the herbicide's been thrown out of the row. I don't really know how this is going to go. Let's just see how it goes. And, you know, we're doing some in-depth testing and we've got a couple of students on this one as well to work with it. So I certainly don't recommend what we're doing at the moment, but let's just see where the aim is just to find alternatives and find potential opportunities for further research to uh, fix this problem for the northern grain growers. Yeah, certainly. Definitely worth uh, going into the detail and seeing if it works. So we look forward to getting the results of that as well. When do you think you might have a bit more to say on, on this study, Mike? Well, if all our herbicides manage to smoke the lupins, we'll be able to say something very, very early. But I think that probably by the end of the year, maybe November, we'll, maybe we could talk about it again. Okay, we'll touch base again then on that one then. And finally, Mike, uh, you're also working on using Ceredella as a break phase crop with Dr Yassine Khalil. Can you tell us what this research involves? One of the problems with our rotations is that they're predominantly grain crops and when it comes to a grain crop, we predominantly use all of our herbicides in crops, so we're using selective herbicides. We used to have a rotation that used to have a pasture phase, and those pasture phases actually provided the grain crop an awful lot of opportunities in absolutely reducing ryegrass seed numbers during that pasture phase because we're able to hit those ryegrass numbers at different timings with, with rates that we normally couldn't apply within the grain crop. So what we're actually doing is we're, we're looking at Ceredella as a tactical opportunity to rapidly reduce ryegrass seed numbers within cropping fields. So we've got a few cropping fields, a few growers we're working with, and they've got massive numbers of highly multiple herbicide resistant annual ryegrass populations within there. These seed banks are absolutely huge, up to 70,000 seeds per square metre or plants wow. per square metre came up in the first year. So what we're doing is we've actually got different rotations where we've got continuous wheat. Now that wheat crop, we're not even worrying about the economics there. We're throwing the kitchen sink at it, doing whatever we can to control the ryegrass. And we're actually failing miserably within those treatments. We've got a continuous fallow where we're actually just spraying the side out. We've got a diverse rotation, which constitutes something like, you know, wheat, hay, canola, lupins. And that's, that's a treatment that's doing fairly well, but we are still getting some ryegrass in there. Last year, we put a hay crop in there that, you know, and when we dis when we harvested ourselves, it uh, nearly nearly destroyed my whippersnipper. Um, <laughs> and following that, we have these cerradella phases intertwined with wheat. So we have one year, two years, or three years of cerradella uh, followed by wheat. And those cerradella phases are really good because they've we've been up to able to absolutely obliterate the ryegrass numbers following two years of cerradella phase and then following going back into wheat. So the reason for that is that every year over 80% of the ryegrass seed bank germinates. So if you think we can we can destroy 80% in one year and we can destroy 80% of what's left the second year and potentially even do that for three years, you're able to take really large ryegrass numbers down to very, very low levels. 
And Ceradel is a really good product. We're working with Angelo Loy within this project because, you know, Ceradel is cheap. We can harvest our own seed. It's easy to establish. It, um, we can apply a good range of spray topping opportunities to uh, Ceradella. It produces a really large biomass and produces a, a good level of nitrogen fixation. And most importantly, it really does drop our nematode numbers. So we're sort of seeing these benefits in the wheat that aren't just related to nitrogen, not just related to the lack of ryegrass competition. It's also very heavily related to the fact that we've got optimal root growth because our nematode numbers have dropped so far. So it's a good rotational trial. It's a really good systems trial to show the benefit of a trying to reintegrate some of these packages back into the farming system. Excellent. Well, Mike, that is a perfect overview of what's happening with the agronomy team. Lots of exciting research going on and we look forward to catching up with you again in the near future to get further updates, but it's all sounding very promising. So thanks for sharing it with us. No worries, Jess.